Drake Bell, Nickelodeon heartthrob of yesterday and today. No, seriously, though. Ten years ago, he captured our hearts on Nickelodeon. It's gonna take some time to and today, he is a man of many trades. Actor, philanthropist, musician, and he's even the voice of Spider-Man. While he was playing several shows in Chicagoland, Tim and I were able to sit down with him at WGN Radio. So without further ado, just sit back, relax, and get to know the one and only Drake Bell. Welcome everybody. Thank you for tuning in to Artistic License. We have Drake Bell in the building. Now, um, I mean, is it cool if I start with these? The, the, I, I have the deep, intimate questions. Go deep. I feel what keeps many artists at bay is the fear of failure, the fear of being misunderstood. Now, as a songwriter, where does the confidence to put your heart and soul out into a sea of strangers come from? Um... Wow, I, I I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. I just I I just write, and uh, I don't know. I don't ever think. I don't ever get nervous about bearing my soul to the audience. I I just get there's such a satisfaction and gratification by from um, getting on stage and seeing people lip mouth the lyrics that you wrote in your bedroom, you know, and it's like what this actually took on a life of its own, and it's it's affected somebody, and somebody's been moved by it. It's just um, I don't know. I think I think maybe in the early stages, you know, there is that hurdle. But um, once you get to the point where you have, you know, there's fans that are that are enjoying your music, you just kind of want to get that next song out there. You want to get more. You want to you want to give them more, and you want to, you know, continue that. Well, would you like? Um, would you say that if if that wasn't there, if there wasn't the fans to validate that the art is like legit? Would you say, would you, do you think you'd still be like going at it? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'd definitely be going at it because, I mean, first and foremost, it's just the love of the music. I mean, sit, you have to love it to be able to sit in your room for 14 hours and learn your craft and, and then, you know, listen to artists and try and, you know, you start trying to emulate them, you try to write like them. So, I mean, it all, st- it all stems from an initial love for, for the craft, but, uh, uh, the, the fans are just the icing on the cake. Yeah, that's a big thing. Like you know, especially in our, our, this day and age, in my generation, it's like they want that instant gratification. They want that Instagram fame. They want to be. The, they want that Kim Kardashian, you know, famous for nothing. And uh, it, it's that, that, and that's that's a big problem because I, I I meet a lot of kids and they're like, how how do you become famous? And you're like, mm mm How do you you got the, you don't just become famous? I mean, it's it's hours and hours and hours and years of hard work and you know you got to put your 100,000 hours in and all that kind of stuff. So that's uh that's the main thing is just really concentrating and focusing on your craft because without that, I mean, you're not I mean, unless you have like really cool Instagram photos or something. <laughs> I just want to get a little bit into the creative, the creative process. When you start writing a song, is there a particular setting, physically or emotionally, that you have to be in? You know, it's always different. I mean, it's either you know you're sitting at home, or you're on the road, or you're in a hotel room, or you're in a car, or you're, you know, a melody will come to you, or a cool lyric. It's usually the music first, and then lyrics will come later for me. 
Um, but but yeah, no, I don't I don't have any certain rituals or anything. You know, everyone always asks, you know, what do you do before you go on stage? You know, do you have to like have that moment to yourself? And I'm like, I'm usually like talking to someone, and then they're like, Drake, you're on. Oh, oh, cool. Hold that thought. I'll I'll finish it when I get <laughs> off stage. You know, I'm just so so used to to that that I don't you know ever get nervous or anything like it. But um, so there's no yeah there's no like ritual or anything. But uh, uh, but yeah you know sometimes there's on days and sometimes there's off days where you're just beating your head against the wall and you're like why can't I get this lyric or why can't I get this you know chorus for the song and then some days it just comes out and you're like where the heck did that come from you know. So are there are there points where like you'll have an idea. And then you'll have to sit on it for a while, like it, because like um some we interviewed Anderson East last week, and for him is like if it doesn't happen in like the first two minutes, like he's like I kind of dip on it, you know. Yeah, I mean there there definitely are. I, I would say it goes both ways, though. You know, I mean there there's ideas that you sit on, and if it doesn't come quickly, then you're like, well, then this isn't that good, or there's not, it should be, it should come easier, but then there's some things that you get stuck on that are, that you are so, I mean, it's like your baby, it's like you're so into it, you're like, I gotta finish this, this is a great verse idea, you know, I, I just gotta find that chorus, or I gotta find that bridge, or that, that right melody, or anything, or something, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's always different, I mean, there's no direct path for inspiration, you know, I, I think it just, it, it, it comes from, 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 from all over, so, um, yeah, I mean, if it, if it sometimes sometimes there's great things you got to beat your head against the wall, and it takes a week or two weeks, and you still have the same verse idea in your head, but you're like, no, that, that's <laughs> got to be something. And then there's some things that you're like, you know what? Like like you said, if 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 it doesn't come, Elton John says the same thing. He says, if I can't write a song in 15 minutes, it's not a good song. I'm like, yeah, but you have Bernie Taupin writing your lyrics. You know? like, <laughs> that's not really fair. <laughs> um. How important is it for you to step away from the music and take time to marvel at the beauty of life? How much of your life experience away from practice, gigging, and writing contribute to the fruition of your songs? I mean, I would say as much as as much as is life in general. I mean, that's it's really. I mean, like I said, I don't need to like go off to some you know house on a hill and have my alone time so that I can find my inspirado, you know, there's <laughs> not really, I mean, you, you, you gain so much, I mean, I mean, you guys live in a big city, I mean, I would, I would find more inspiration just walking the streets here and running into people and meeting new people and hearing new stories and, you know, different personalities and all that than I would just sitting in a room with an acoustic guitar, so, um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think I need, like, a step back. I mean, it's great if you know, go on vacation, have a breather, but then you're probably not going to want to be sitting there writing songs, you know, you can just <laughs> chill out. Um, but yeah, I, I get inspiration for songwriting from from all all parts of life, so I, I wouldn't say that I need like a, I don't think it's detached. Rachel, do you have anything? Of yes. course you do. Hopefully you What's do. your favorite color? No, I'm just kidding. You're actually a man of many trades, music, acting. You work with a lot of charities, and you've been the voice of Spider-Man. That's like, right. You're from the name literally of Spider-Man Literally a superhero. Um, how do you find yourself dividing time between all of your passions? <sighs> um, I, I don't know. When I'm not doing one, I'm doing the other. I don't know how I... Like, just scheduling, I guess. I don't, okay. I, That's I don't fair. know. I don't really... I, I just... 
when I'm done with this, I'm back to L.A. Actually, I've made sure that I got a flight home early on Monday because I have uh, I have Spider-Man Monday morning, and then I'm uh, going straight into production for like on like this morning we were watch I was watching audition tapes for a new show that I'm producing, and um, and then I go straight back to that when I get home. So it's just kind of all mush together and we just make sure that the scheduling kind of allows me to be where I need to be. Do you feel like you found a good balance? Um, I love working so the good balance is as long as I'm busy you know. Uh, I love entertaining, I love the creative aspect of you know producing and directing and acting and making music and being on the road and touring and all, all that so um yeah, I mean, I, the balance for me is really just as long as I'm as long as I'm busy, I'm stoked. Okay, so would your advice for people who are similarly trying to juggle a lot of different passions just be scheduling or just kind of? Well, I, well, I would say at the start you're going to need to focus on one thing. You know, I mean, I've I've had the luxury of doing this for you know 25 years, so. There's a lot of, you know, somebody who's been doing this for two years or three years, then it's like, well, no, focus on your guitar for right now or, you know, focus on singing right now or, you know, get into acting classes and, and focus on your acting. Um, but I think once you get to a point, um, then it kind of just becomes second nature, you know. Um, but, yeah, somebody who's working on who's working to try and do, I would say stay stay focused on one thing, get that where you want it to be and then who did you get your first guitar lessons from and where were you <laughs> I was making a movie and I was about 10 years old and um, I had to make a, it was with Roger Daltrey the lead singer of The Who and so I had to learn how to play guitar for the movie I've never I'd never touched a guitar before um and it, I mean, it was pretty surreal because I w wasn't a player, but I was a huge fan of music. So I, I mean, even at ten or eleven or how, maybe twelve—I can't remember how old I was—I um, had already known who the Beatles were and the Beach Boys and the Who and Led Zeppelin. I mean, I was a big classic rock freak, and so to be able to sit on set and you know have a guitar there and Roger Daltrey showing you how to play like Behind Blue Eyes and you—I mean, it was pretty—it was pretty surreal. But it was a great—it was a great opportunity because it really. You know, I didn't have just some guy. The wherever you go take guitar lessons, like this was like, whoa, I could, I could be, I could be him one day. You know, you injured your wrist earlier this year, and you tweeted out something about the doctors telling you at the time you might never play guitar again, and you're sitting here with your guitar today. <laughs> yeah, that was a bummer. Yeah, that well, was how a did real it feel? Bummer. And it's still, I mean, it's still not. I had to completely change the way that I play guitar. My my hand it's it's kind of is what it is luckily i luckily i know where the notes are i just have to figure out a different way to get to them so how did it feel to receive that news and then how do you feel now that you've kind of figured out a way around it and kind of beat the system i mean it was devastating you know i mean this is my love this is my passion and still i mean i can't i i it's completely changed the way that i play i can't get i can't do you know what i what i used to do um so yeah i mean it's 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 a big it's a big Big, it was a big blow. Really, really, it was a bummer. Yeah. But I'm glad that you're playing a bunch of shows here in Chicago. Mm -hmm. You're playing five shows. Yep. So it's 
encouraging to see someone like when when you love something so much. I mean, it's it's gonna take. I mean, it's gonna take a bulldozer. You know what I mean? It's yeah. Like a, you know, broken wrist, whatever. I broke my jaw in three places. I fractured my. I got in a huge car accident when I was you know a couple few years ago. Mm-hmm. I was sitting at a red light and some guy fell asleep at the wheel and hit me head on and just annihilated me. I was uh, in the middle of shooting Drake and Josh, and um, that. Uh, we we had to stop production and all that stuff. So, but I, I'm still here. You know, I don't know. Won't let me go. <laughs> <laughs> you want to take? Can you talk to me a little bit about? You just went on a tour with High School Nation. Mm-hmm. You've done a lot of work for the Thirst Project. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about some of the charities that you're involved with? Um, yeah, Thirst Project's really awesome. I've been working with the Thirst Project for since it kind of kind of the incarnation of it years ago. A friend of mine, Seth Maxwell, was reading in the newspaper one day that uh, there's a billion people that don't have access to safe drinking water, and then he noticed where he was seeing it in the newspaper, and then he flips to the front, and it's like Michael Jackson has died, and he's like, wait a minute. A billion people don't have access to safe, clean drinking water, and this is what's on front page news, and he's turning on the TV, and it's all over the TV. So he kind of got inspired, and he said, you know what? I got I to gotta spread the word. Like, this is so – because it's, 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 it's a fixable problem, you know? I mean, it's, 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 it's actually doable. And um, he took the 75 bucks, I think it was, or $60 that he had in his pocket, and he went and he bought 60 water bottles. And he just went on Hollywood Boulevard and started giving away water bottles to anybody who would listen to him talk. And he started telling them, and then people started coming up and going, "Hey, would you come? Would you take your? Would your organization come speak at my school? You know, that was really inspiring." And he's like, "My organization? I'm just a dude on the street that <laughs> has some water bottles. Like, I'm organization." And then it kind of just grew from there. And now we've put wells all over the all over the world. You know, all over Africa and Asia and India and all this stuff. And um, I, I wish I, I wish I knew the exact number, but I mean it's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people that they've uh, supplied water for. We build wells and uh, around the world, and, um, so that's that's a really amazing. I mean to see the f- look on these people's faces and these children, and um, I mean because it's 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 amazing. There's all these 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 areas that are just riddled with disease, you know, like AIDS, and 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 the sad thing is is that's not even what's killing the the, the kids and, and and the people there. It's their immune system is so deficient that it's the water they're drinking, and then the water poisons them, and then they die from that. So we, if we could just get them clean water, they would mm-hmm. have a, a, a sustainable life. You know what I mean? It's they they would be able to fight these these uh, problems. But um, so so that that was really inspiring. And I I when when I met him, I was like I, I want to be a part of this, you know, wholeheartedly. And um, and the high school nation thing was really cool too because. It's, we go into these high schools and basically put on a mini Woodstock or Lollapalooza for these kids. It's mm-hmm. so cool. We have uh, Tilly's and uh, Ernie Ball and Gibson and um, all these different, uh, you know, Save the Music, VH1, all this. And uh, they come in and we put on a big, we get a big stage and we put on all these uh, different, um, what do you call it, like tents set up with all these different activities. And the kids can come in and play drums and guitars and bass, you know, all the instruments are set up, and then they can go over here and do arts and crafts and all this stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it, it's so cool, because you'll be sitting in the in the music booth, and a kid will come in and be playing piano, and then another kid will come in and play guitar, and then another kid will come and play drums, and these are three kids that would never talk to the to each other at school. Like, they're just, just different cliques and different things, mm-hmm. but the music brings them together, and all of a sudden you see 
these guys going, oh, I didn't know you played drums. Like, maybe you want to hang out? Like, you want to come over and hang out? Maybe we can play music together? So you can you, you get to see how, you know, the absence of art in schools really, it's not just, you know, kids playing the recorder and mm-hmm. kids playing, you know, learning something that they're not going to use for the rest of their lives. It's It really... It, I mean, it's it's amazing to see what what it, what music can do for these kids. It's really cool. It's gonna take some time to realize, How do you think growing up in the Nickelodeon universe has affected your life? How has it affected my life? I don't know. Um, I've been doing it for so long that I don't really know what the difference would be. Um, oh, I guess you're right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, but uh, but I guess the coolest thing, I would say the coolest thing is, is I grew up watching Nickelodeon and I grew up, you know, uh, looking up to these, you know, all that and th- those kind of shows. So it's kind of surreal for me because I would look at Kenan Thompson, for example, or Kel Mitchell, and I go, oh, mm-hmm. man, you guys are my childhood. You, I mean, you were in my room every single day. <laughs> and so when I go out and I meet fans and they're like, oh, man, you were my childhood. I grew up on you. It's kind of surreal because that's how I, I mean, I totally know where they're coming from. You know, that's why mm-hmm. it's, everyone always says, you know, oh, does it bother you when people come up to you or does it get tiring? And I'm like, you kidding? It's like, how cool is it to hear somebody say, "Man, you were my childhood," you know? So, um, I don't know. I don't know how it's how it's affected me, but it, it's uh, it's it, it's pretty cool. I mean, I, I dig it. Awesome. Well done. If it doesn't make you uncomfortable, you were my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. Yeah, we. My brother and I loved the Amanda Show and Drake and Josh. Oh, like, thank you. I probably watched like a million. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I couldn't believe how many people were I was looking on Instagram and I mean there were people as totally Kyle, as Tony Pajamas, Hillbilly Moment, Drake and Josh. I was like it's like, man, this was the year for the Drake and Josh costumes. It was yeah. really cool. Throwback. Well thank you so much yeah, thank for you. talking with us. Thank you again to Drake Bell and his team. You can check out WGMPlus.com for an exclusive video performance by Drake. And at the end of the video, you can see one of us have a little jam session with him. Thanks to WGN Radio, Hard Times Productions, and Tim O'Pooley. As always, I'm Rachel Woodall, and this has been Artistic License. Thanks for listening. Oh, hey, by the way, we have got some great interviews coming up for you guys, so be sure to check back next Sunday and every Sunday after that for more.